<laughs> oh, hello everyone. Uh, welcome to episode number 32 of Fan Fuel Motorsports Podcast, a podcast where fans fuels talk about motorsports. And uh, we've already been having a little bit of fun trying to get prepped. And um, I was a little late getting on. That's why we're a little late going live. Um, Nathan and I, and I have already been going at it. So uh, I'm sure this this uh, show will be a little bit spicy right, a little bit later on. Yeah, so uh, let's go ahead and get into it, boys. Uh, Woker Joke is going to be first up this week, and we've got a lot to talk about. The uh, cup schedule for next year came out. Uh, you guys talked about it last week uh, while I and uh, Jared were absent, and you talked about the uh, potential losing a date at Pocono to get Gateway and also the L.A. Coliseum coming on. Um, so I'm going to kind of gloss over that. Um, so let's go ahead and start with um, the Homestead return to the playoffs but it's not the season finale uh Wilker Joe um I'm torn on this one um I'm on the fence I'm gonna say woke for moving it back to the postseason um or the playoffs whatever NASCAR calls it um but joke for not moving it back to the championship race that is the best championship track NASCAR has ever had yeah I guess I'll go woke on that one too or joke on that one too like in the sense it isn't finale um the only thing that does scare me is that like the temperature can really wreck a 550 race and it needs to be hot for that race to be any good because you saw like Kansas last year when it was cooler out, that race was pretty rough. And I, I don't know, like I think the 550 package is so temperature dependent to where if it's not, well, I mean, out, it's going to be a Sunday race, not a sun or a Saturday night race, as far as I'm aware. So, I mean, you're talking about Miami in September. I think it probably should be pretty hot. October. So, yeah, hopefully. Like it's gotta be above the eighties at least. Like that's my goal. Like I, I just is it later it's great, than that? It's October, like late October. Wow. That's still hot down there, I think. I don't know. We'll have to check the weather in a couple weeks and like, get If back it's to anything below there. like seventy degrees, then we're in trouble. Like that's I hope weird. it's not that. God, now you got me scared. Coming, like it's gotta get warm. The tops like twenty nineteen home said the top never came in because it was sixty degrees right. outside. But that being said, I, I want the tracks to finale. It's a good racetrack. Like, yeah, so I guess I'll have to echo cars. that. Yeah, I'll have to echo that. Because um, when you look at Homestead, it's it's one of, if not the best racetrack on the schedule because of its worn-out surface, because it's got the variable banking. You know, it goes from uh, 18 to 22, I believe, uh, degrees of banking, and the high side works. But it doesn't work with these bogged-down engines, and we saw that happening. 2019, like Nathan said, so I'm kind of woke for getting it back in the playoffs. It is one of the more driver stringent tracks, which is what I want in the playoffs. But I'm joked because it's it's not the finale, and our 550 package sucks there. So I assume these next-gen cars that are going down the same road aren't going to do that well. And that is eating my words from earlier in the season. I, I do know that. Um, next up is Richmond is the track that is out of the playoffs. And they're not just out of the playoffs. They're out of a night race, too. They're going to be racing in the day in August. So are we woke or joke on that move? Oh, I'm woke. Get this track hot and slick. Get them moving around. Love day Richmond races. Love it. Woke. Yep, same here. Absolutely woke. If you go back to, like, 2016, 2017, day Richmond, really good races. This year's spring race, really good. Like, you know, you look at clips from the older days with um, 2008. You have guys running all the way up in the third lane and stuff you normally never see at night. It, it's a good track, and, you know, depending on how hot it is in the tires, 
you might not even get full throttle the entire lap. So that'll be fun to watch. Like I'm all for this. Well, I don't disagree with you guys. I'm going to have to go joke just because it's hot as balls and I hate would hate to be a fan there. Um, So, yeah, hot racetracks are good for us on TV, but hot racetracks for fans are not not good. Um, We'll talk to my dad in a couple weeks about Talladega in in July and why hot racetracks just aren't that fun. Mm -hmm. Um, With that being said, um, I, I also don't think that it's good to have two of the same configurations, uh, for races. And that's kind of a joke for me. So 400 laps in a day, twice in a season just is, is a bit of a bore to me. I was good with them having one day in the one night race. Um, moving on though, um, with the LA Coliseum move that you guys talked about last week, uh, we're losing speed weeks. Uh, and that was something that was big on Twitter, uh, I think I know where this is going to go, but woke or joke from you guys? Um, I'm going to go joke. Um, I've been very vocal on Twitter. My biggest gripe about this is the killing of speed weeks and the saving NASCAR team's money. Um, one of them's one of them's just hypocrisy, and the other one's fucking with tradition. Um, so now we've killed the Daytona July race. Um, now we've killed the regular points schedule um, and the regular points format. Um, we've completely effed up the schedule um, in the name of short track or new track styles, I guess. Um, and now we're killing speed weeks. Um, so I, I feel bad for the fans that have already bought their tickets and already planned that vacation to be down there for the clash all the way through the 500. Um, now they're getting gypped out of a race. Um, I feel super bad about that. Um, the LA race I'm optimistic about, but killing speed weeks really doesn't sit well with me. Yeah. That's going to be a joke for me. Cause like, it's another case of like, why, why do we have to do this? Like I don't, you know, you don't really know if it's going to work or not. I think it's just throwing a Hail Mary. And you're taking something that the people already like in Speed Weeks. I mean, that being said, I've never been able to attend a full Speed Weeks because of school. But, you know, if I ever got the chance, I would. And now it's going to be gone. So, really, I never actually got a chance to go to Speed Weeks in proper. So, that's a big yeah. thing. And that and that's one thing that we talked about when they moved the All-Star Race to Bristol and, and, and Texas, you know that was a pilgrimage for fans to go to Charlotte for two weeks, to go do all the um, race shops, to go watch the all-star race, to watch the trucks, Xfinity, Arca and cup races, the pit stop chat or the pit crew challenge at the arena when it was a thing. And we've just slowly gotten away from that. And now we're taking the other pilgrimage, which was to spend two weeks at the beach and watch fast cars turn left. And now it's been condensed to one week, and now it's been condensed to what five days? Um, we're, we're we're not seeing practice anymore. That's another thing that Colt was talking about. So I don't even know what the view the viewpoint is of other people. But for me, someone who used to go to used to skip school to go to Atlanta to watch practices. Um, I, sorry, Dad, if you're listening. Um, I did kind of skip out of my college classes a couple times to go do that. Um, but he probably knew his buddy probably told him, even though I was like, shh, shh, whatever. Yeah. Um, what's what's the appeal to go to race events right now? Uh, I, I don't know, because all I'm doing is showing up and I'm, I'm, I'm getting a, a sleazy version of what a midway should be at a racetrack. And I get a country-esque pre-race concert that, may not be my style if I'm a casual fan. And then I get a race and that's it. I don't have anything to build up towards. 
Um, what's the point of camping if I'm not going to get multiple uh, times of these cars on tracks? My fantasy stuff is not even, uh, you know, that big anymore. Like, because I don't see who's brought a good car to that track. I don't know. Well, why the hell am I going to go to the LA Coliseum to see some shit that's going to happen when I could have gone for two weeks to see practices start on Wednesday, Thursday, and then Friday, and then clash on Saturday night, qualifying on Sunday, practice on Tuesday, practice on Wednesday, duels on Thursday, trucks on Friday, Saturday Xfinity and Arca, and then Sunday a cup race. Like, that's a pilgrimage that everyone wants to do. And I know I'm just rambling at this point, but I don't get it. I don't get it. And to you guys, you guys got to voice your opinion about the LA Coliseum thing. Uh, kind of like with what Colton said, I hope it does well, but I think it's going to fail. So not having a permanent track there, you know, basically testing new cars that are bigger, uh, or I should say wider than the current gen. And, and on a, a quarter mile bull ring, with a bunch of fans that don't know anything about NASCAR, I think it's a recipe for disaster because they're going to see a demolition derby and they're going to want that every week. And we're going to eventually have to implement more stages so that we get more restarts so we can have more crashes. It's just, it's just a train of thought that I don't get going down a line that we just constantly complain about week after week. And I'm disappointed. Um, yeah. So with that being said, I guess we'll move on. Um, so before we kind of rein back into the NASCAR aspect of this weekend in Richmond, I do want to go uh, a little bit cross-country to the West Coast since we are talking about the L.A. Coliseum. Well, the Pacific Northwest, way up there. Uh, in Oregon, they had the Portland race for the IndyCar Series, the first of three West Coast races. Uh, they'll be hitting Laguna Seca and Long Beach to finish off the championship. I don't think that it was a very – uh, interesting race as far as storylines and stuff. It was kind of procedural. But turn one, always at Portland International, is the worst thing ever. I mean, we've had cars flip there. Always there's a massive crash. And I want to I want to bring up something I, I argue with some people on Twitter about to you guys. Would this be a woke or joke idea to just eliminate the chicane for turn one for the initial restart? I don't know enough about Portland to have an opinion on this. Basically, it's a 90-degree left turn uh, in, into a tight chicane, and they have a caution there every single year. No, leave it. leave it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. All right. Yeah, just off of what I know, leave it. Nah, it's All fine. right. I, I guess the tough thing is, like, the debate for me is that it's a big passing zone, and I don't know what would happen with cars going double file into that little right-hander after the chicane. Like, that would be a pretty big mess on its own. So, like, as much as I would not want to use that thing on restarts, it's almost like a necessary evil to me because it's like it, you got to spread the cars out before they're going, like, 200 miles an hour into this little right-hand corner with, like, with no runoff. And it's like people would just be getting punted off track there every single time. So it's like it's like a, it, the whole track's flawed. Like, there's nothing I can do about it, so I might as well just yeah. take the flaw. I don't know. Maybe they can redesign that corner. It's almost yeah, worse than Monza. I mean, Monza it, it's worse is Monza. a joke. It's worse than Monza. Like, yeah. People miss that it, breaking it, point at Portland and just fly in. Yeah, so I just I just thought that it was a pretty good idea to just say, all right, for the first double file start of the race, we're just going to skip by this, and on lap two, you have to go, and from there on out, we're, we're, we're good. 
I just it, it's almost a joke to me. It's like watching it's like watching the Indy uh, road course race at NASCAR or the Knoxville truck race. It's kind of a joke that just keeps happening and they don't address it. So maybe we start on the back straightaway like they do at other racetracks, mm-hmm. but there's no fans there, so that's not going to happen. I don't know. Um, but speaking of Monza and Turn One, um, wow! Uh, if you guys didn't watch the uh, Italian GP, um, you missed out on some pretty big controversy for the Formula One world. Um, and Colton, I know you had some strong opinions on it. So um, the incident between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton in turn one after Lewis exited the pits. Work or joke? Joke. Um, I'm joke. I, I see both sides of the argument. Both of these drivers have raced each other extremely hard, not giving each other enough room pretty much for the whole season. Um, however, if you go back and look at after that first right-hand turn when they go to the left, um, you can't fit two cars with the path that Hamilton took. You can't. And Max was on his outside, a full car on his outside. Um, so, I mean, that's that's a huge issue. And I've seen Hamilton do this before, um, not only against Verstappen, but um, I think back to Seb in 2019, I believe it was. Um, they had that big first, second finish, and it caused a whole hoopla on Twitter. Um, but it was the same kind of deal. Um, he forced him off track. And, Nate, you brought up several examples as well. Um, in the past of Hamilton doing that, and not just Hamilton, other drivers as well. Um, but it's getting to be a pretty, pretty bad issue. Um, and I think the thing I'm most peeved about is the penalty that was given to Max. Um, not necessarily that he was given a penalty, but the the strength of that penalty. They're giving him a three-place grid penalty, um, whereas Lewis for, I believe it was Silverstone, right? Yeah. Um, only got a 10-second penalty. I mean, those, those don't match up at all. Um, so if you're going to, I mean, if you're going to kick the dog once over here, you got to do it over here too for doing bad. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think it's a joke for both drivers. Like they, they're clearly not racing with any semblance of respect. Like it's, it's getting pretty old at this point. Like I like Verstappen a lot. I just don't, I don't get what his end game is by doing this because the more he pushes Lewis off the track in lap one, and he's done it four times this year on the first lap of a race the more he's basically inviting Hamilton to race him the same way later in the race. And you get those guys together, neither one of them is going to back down. They're just going to keep doing it over and over and over. And like Colton said, the rules encourage it. The guy who gets pushed off the track gets punished for holding his ground. So you're only encouraging them to push each other off the track more. So it's like, it's just like, it's whole, like the FIA is just mismanagement, the whole thing. At what point do you just, you have to punish the people for pushing somebody off track. You can't just say, hey, this is how we want to race because at whatever point it's going to become every, it's going to become every week. And then you're not going to get side-by-side racing. Like it's just kind of ridiculous. Yeah. One, uh, one bad apple or in this case two can ruin it for the bunch. And I'm just going to have to agree with both of you guys with this being a joke. I mean, you guys have both brought up the fact that Max and Lewis are doing this multiple times to each other in the season. And I look back to Silverstone and, of course, this weekend and say, somebody's going to get hurt. And that's my biggest thing. You guys have heard me talk about safety multiple times on this podcast, and there's no difference here. Um, so Max could have died in 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 that race uh, in Silverstone when he went flying that fast into the into the barriers. Now, obviously, we have safe cars, and the tires did their job. Um, I'm surprised Lewis is not hurt. 
the the fact that the halo was there saved his life, obviously, but he still got hit in the tire, hit in the head with a tire. Um, I that this is this is beyond ridiculous. Wheel to wheel contact does not work in open wheel racing. The whole point about being gentleman drivers is being able to push the limit to a point where you know that the other driver is going to back out so that you both don't end up in a wreck and potentially kill. And I think it's along the lines that we talked about with Joey Logano and some of the blocks that he was saying earlier is that maybe it's a little bit too much that the sport itself is so safe now that they don't really give a shit about the consequences. And the fact that, you know, three years ago before the halo, uh, maybe it's more than that now, um, Lewis Hamilton would have died. He had a car sitting on his head. I mean, I, I, I can't get behind this. These guys need to chill out, um, and they need to race aggressively a little bit differently. Um, I will say that I, I put more blame here uh, on Lewis than Max because uh, I'm of the opinion that he had the corner for turn one, but Max had the corner for turn two, and he turned down on him, and that's the only reason that they bounced over each other's wheels. Right, um, and I think, but, you know, Hamilton probably tried to put him in a box to say, hey, either you cut the corner to avoid me or you have to back out entirely or you crash. Like he basically made Max pick and Max obviously picked the choice. Hey, we're going to both crash, which honestly I would have done the same thing, but you know, in the words of the guy back here, you got to leave a space. Like that quote is going to go down in history. It's relevant every single year because they leave space less and less and less. And it almost seems like a dying practice almost. That that's the best way to put it of drivers respecting one another. Yeah, and 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 I know we praise um, our guys for roughing each other up and banging around because they're in these big stock cars. But open wheel cars are dangerous. We have seen people die. I mean, even recently, as a couple years ago, with Anthony Hubert, like chill out. Like you can be aggressive without endangering someone's life, and that's where where I cross the line. Um, with that being said, we'll go back to uh, our um, our neck of the woods with NASCAR. Um, and we've got two silly season things. One's a rumor and one's been confirmed. And that is Sheldon Creed is going to be moving up from trucks to the Xfinity Series. What do you guys think about the truck champion going Xfinity racing? Woke or joke? Um, I'm woke. Um, I'd like to see what he can do in, X- in an Xfinity car. Um, Brett Moffat has been able to hold his own, even in the equipment he's in. Um, I'm really excited to see what Creed can do because I think he's developed a lot as a driver over the last few years. Yeah, I'm going to follow you and say, well, I think it's really cool to see him do good because a few years ago, he I knew he was fast. He just hit the wall every single week. And I remember saying that, you know, if he can stop crashing, he's going to win and he's going to win a ton. And sure enough, he has ever since then. And one thing that's cool about him too is that he doesn't really come from a ton of money. I mean, obviously he does have some backing from his family, but for the most part, those cars that he's had have been unsponsored. So it's a big deal for somebody like that to, to work their way up and not, not have hundreds of millions of dollars behind them, if you will. Yeah. For me, it's, it's, it's a all around look. I mean, Sheldon Creed is a talent that's, um, not really been cracked into yet. And that's something I'm, I'm waiting to watch develop into a cup series ride eventually down the road, because he's going to be one of those guys that we talk about for a long time, unless, you know, he does something uh, stupid and, and, and works his way out of the sport, but he's smart enough kid not to do that. Um, I don't know. He's going to RCR. 
uh, I think that's where he's going. Um, so that's pretty good. The RCR Infinity program has been lacking. No offense to Myatt Snyder. Um, obviously, Anthony Alfredo was not a, a good fit there. But since Tyler Reddick left, it's been lacking. And we need someone with enough talent to bring that team to a, a level where it can compete with JRM and JGR because that's going to be their main rivals next year. Um, so, I, I mean, it's just woke all around. It's, it's good for the series because it's it's been lacking in talent this past couple of years as everybody's been moving up the cup. Um, and with that being said, um, this is something that we kind of picked apart before the show. Um, you know, we're all DBC listeners, and we've listened to Brett um, this week say some stuff about um, someone going to cup racing uh, and – taking the spot of someone who's going full-time Xfinity racing and the three of us pieced it together that maybe that's Ty Dillon going to GMS full-time in the cup series. So is this theory woke or joke? Um, I'd be woke. I think Ty's a good driver. Um, I mean, obviously it's between him and Moffat, right? Um, and I think of the two, you have to go with Ty Dillon just because he does have a little bit more experience in the cup cars. Yeah, I'm kind of indifferent. Like, I don't know what to think because I don't know enough about Ty Dillon. Like, I know he drove a couple years in Xfinity for Childers and he won a race. Um, I know he drove the 13 for a long, long time, and he had a couple decent runs on plate tracks and stuff like that, like the Rovo last year. Um, You know, he's a pretty decent driver. I just don't really know where to rank him. So I'd like to see him get another chance, but I'm not going to hype him up too much just because – I have no idea. Like, I have no idea what to expect. All right. Um, well, like I said, we were a little bit hot before we got on. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and let this out. Uh, I woke. Ty Dillon is the better of the two Dillon brothers. Um, so that is why I think this is a great idea. And I hope it is him and not Brett Moffitt. Uh, I have personal beef with Brett Moffitt. So it might be a little bit biased. But uh, Ty Dillon is the better Dillon brother, so it's a it's a it's a it's a steal for them to get a cup oh, driver shoot. ready for a for a race car driver that is good in um, dirt racing and late models and stuff like that. And we're gonna have an independent rear suspension in this next gen car. I think it's gonna suit a driver a little bit more at some of these short tracks than than someone else. I mean, yeah, I think it's a decent. I think he's a decent driver. I just don't know if he's a better like Cup Series driver, you know, or NASCAR driver in general. Because I know that Austin obviously has a much worse reputation, fan base wise, than his brother. Partly because his brother's kind of kind of laid low for quite a while. So, but from that perspective, I, I do think Austin is a little bit disrespected. Like he's not the greatest, but he's not bad either. Like he's. He's won a couple crown jewels. Like they were lucky, but he did win them. And he's won nationwide series. He's won in the truck series. You know, I I think that Ty is good, but I don't I, I don't know if there's enough like if there's enough sample size to prove that he's better because in the three years that he did run Xfinity for his dad or grandfather's team, excuse me, he won a singular race. Like he wasn't bad either. Like he was really good at points for a couple of years. It's just I don't think that's enough sample size to say that he's better than the guy that's ran more cup years than he has Xfinity years. I I, I know that I, I'm a little bit biased because I, I come from the dirt world, but I know I'm also not the only one that's going to say this, but because he's such a better driver on dirt, I've seen both of them race super late models, and I feel like the car control from Ty Dillon 
makes him a better race car driver than his brother. So and that that's dirt. why. That, what about <laughs> on dirt? It, I'm it just saying, more, like, it takes more car control to drive a dirt car. And then I explain to like me, then explain to me why somebody like Juan Montoya, who had never driven on dirt a day in his life until his 30s, instantly gets in a late model at the Prelude and impresses Tony Stewart enough to say. This is the best dirt newcomer I've ever seen. He never done anything like this. He's instantly good. Like I don't think that, from a perspective of the series they're in, I don't think it's fair because, look at it this way. I'm not going to say that Lewis Hamilton is a great race car driver because he drives stock cars. It's just like, it doesn't mean that he's bad on dirt. It just means that it's a different perspective. You can't you can't use an apple and say that this is a really good orange. Like you know what I'm saying? No. I don't know what you're saying. Yeah, I, I, there's just too I many dirt drivers that aren't good NASCAR drivers as a result. No, but I feel like you compare them because they are brothers and because they grew up a lot the same. They've had a lot of right. the same resources outside of their equipment in the Cup Series. Um, I, I, and your JPM comparison is not fair because JPM is amazing at whatever he drives. That dude could drive up yeah. money and he'd be the greatest. But think of it this way: if we're if we're talking, we can't. It's like saying that, you know, let's just say that Max Verstappen is a better F1 driver than Lewis Hamilton because Verstappen has more karting titles. Like, you can't – at what point do you have to use the series they're actually in right now to compare them? I mean, I, I, I still think it's a hard that's where, you're, that's where you're getting a little bit away from what we're talking about. It's not fair to just he say is that. Not, he has not proven himself to be a better NASCAR driver. Obviously, he hasn't had the same opportunities and stuff like that. But as soon as you look at them in equal equipment on dirt, he's right. going to race. That's where I want to hit back. Where I want to hit back is saying that you think that dirt in general means all of race cars. So if dirt means all of race cars, neither does stock cars. So if you're thinking better race car driver, you have to factor in which driver can do both. And one of them is better on dirt and one of them is better on pavement. But – Austin's no slouch. Do we know that Ty is not better on pavement? We've never seen Right, but you're saying that you can't just use one discipline to say that he's a better race car driver. But I you're saying that I I can't use right, but I'm saying look at it this way. If you're saying that I cannot use pavement racing to say that he's a better race car driver, then how can you use dirt? That's what's my that's my thing. Like because dirt racing requires a more uh I guess suitable skill set to car control. You have to know exactly where you are because you don't have a spider. You don't have anything like that. You have to have throttle control. You have then to how come the guy with the best car control? Then how come the guy with the best car control in NASCAR did not grow up on dirt in Kyle Busch? Uh, because like, it's not Kyle Busch. It's Kyle Larson. Right. Okay, but that's that's fair. But I'm saying that you act like there's, you know a driver has to grow up in dirt to, to be. There's good. a huge equipment factor. I'm here. not acting like no. So so, so you're, you're. I mean, equipment's not going to save a race car when it's 45 degrees sideways. Like the equipment did not right. help Kyle Busch make those saves. You're, you're right. right. But Ty Dillon would. Ty Dillon make those saves. I mean, like, I mean, I'd rather win a race than I would make a cool save and finish 20th. But that's that's your thing. So. And we haven't seen Austin Dillon make a cool save and finish 20. And we've seen him win races, and that's what I'd rather have. Have we, though? I mean, you see, this is this is the debate. That Ty Dillon has a singular win outside of trucks. Kyle Busch won the prelude. <laughs> yeah, and he didn't come from dirt. He was just a natural. No, but you know what he does have? You know what he does have? 
He has good car control, just like you said. Yeah, and he and didn't hone that on the dirt. He honed it on the pavement. It doesn't matter. Legends. That's the metric that I that I put as being a good race car driver. I'm not I'm not trying to sit here and change goalposts or anything like that. But if you put someone who has good car control on dirt, they will succeed no matter if they've done it before or not. Right. And Hands down. Play. Because dirt racing, whether it's oval racing or rally or rally cross, shows you that someone has control over the car as if well, it were a part of their body. I have a good quote for you. I have a quote that Kyle Petty mentioned, and same with Richard Petty back in 2010. They talked about this with other drivers, and they compared somebody like, say, Kevin Harvick to um, a Kyle Busch, and they said that people always ooh and ah at the guy that's sideways, but why not? Why aren't people impressed at the guy who never gets sideways? Why aren't we impressed at the guy that is always under control over the guy that's stepping over the limit but is lucky enough to get it back? Like, who what makes him from? a worse race car driver? Who was that quote from? I think it was from, like, Richard Petty. He talked about two of the better drivers. I think it was, like, Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick or something like that, and he said that you know, if racing was about getting sideways, then he wouldn't have 200 wins. Like, I, I honestly believe that there are more ways to win races than just pure car control. And you can't say that a guy who doesn't get sideways doesn't have car control because, you know, maybe like Jimmy Johnson, he had car control, but he never used it unless he had to. Like, you never saw him dirt. drive a car like that unless he absolutely had to. He grew up like, on dirt. Right. But look at the way he didn't purposefully drive on the limit. He only drove that way when he had to drive that way. No, like, you that, is how, the, that is like, the, that is the worst statement that you have made ever. Because if you go back and you watch Jimmy Johnson practice, right. if you watch Jimmy Johnson practice, he pushes his car to the limits in practice. Right. Just and like I'm Mark saying Martin that, did, who also came from the dirt background before he went. I thought Martin was ASA. Like he was more he, like asphalt. He did, but he started on dirt and he came into the ASA series. He, he did the, the asphalt eight models and stuff. If you go out there and you watch practice sessions when we actually had it, Jimmy Johnson pushed his car to the limit, and right. he found the limits in practice. Right. Okay. Because he didn't want That's to why he was such a procedural race car driver right. in the race. He didn't want to tear it up during the race, and that's exactly. my point. But you know, you don't have he, to. You don't have to yaw the car out a ton in a race to win a race. And I think Jimmy knew that, and he's thinking, hey. Why don't we do it now instead? We pay now or pay later, and I'd rather tear. Look at look at guys that that we've already brought up that you've talked about. Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson. One of them did not grow up on dirt, like you've said, but has a, immense car control. And Kyle Larson, who grew up on dirt, who also has arguably better car control, right? I, neither I, one of them, neither I, one of them, neither one of them drive spectacularly, right? They push. The no, they both they need do. They're to. on the wall. They're sideways all the time. Everybody knows them for that. Like, why is he called KFB? It's because he saved a car through the grass in Texas. Like, he's literally known for being balls out. Yeah, but like, they they find that line and they stay there. They push. They go over the quite a lot. Like, you know, all the times Kyle Larson's hit the wall when he's on a mile and a half track before. Obviously, before the five fifty package, but. He got in the wall quite a bit. Yeah, but once they become elite, you see those mistakes go away. That's why Jimmy Johnson. Right, but not elite. everyone's going to do that. Just because they come from dirt doesn't mean they're going to hit that next level. Not everyone can put it together. I never said that. I never said that. What I'm saying is because he's good on dirt and he has good car control on a mixed surface, he is better than his brother. That's all it comes down to. Better than his brother if, at dirt racing. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. Car control. 
Dirt car. And car control. No. Car. No. Car control. You can't. Okay. Like you said with karting, you 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 brought up the max having more uh you know trophies than Lewis at karting. Okay. Well, put them side by side on a cart now, and if Max beats him, there you go. He has better cart control. I mean, my but metric for measuring race car drivers better race car being able one to series. Hmm? You can't say he's better at everything because of one thing. You don't. You're not understanding the metric. Right, but but everybody's got different metrics. That's what you're not understanding. My metric, like, you got to be complete. You can't just have one thing. Like, you got to have everything. You got to be able to drive on any surface. You can't just. No, get to any win surface. races, to win championships, you have to be consistent. You have to be lucky. You have to be. Right, uh, not that. And know just when to let off. That's, that's a skill set have... of being a, a winning person or a champion. But right. to be a There's... race car driver, in my mind, the better race car drivers have better car control. Okay, so maybe he's a better car driver, not a better race car driver. Like he can drive, he's just not as good pavement racing. So are you just are you just not gonna agree that that Ty Dillon is good? Or like he's a good driver. I just don't think he's. I don't think it's fair to Austin to just disrespect him like that and say that I'm not disrespecting Austin. Obviously, Austin has won races. Obviously, Austin has had the better rides. So. Maybe we see Ty Dillon run a race. Maybe we don't. But from my metric of, of measuring race car drivers, he's the better of the brothers. Like, that's that's all I'm saying. That's like when I look at, at, at NASCAR drivers, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that Kyle Larson right now is the greatest driver in the series because he has finally honed his, his skills in from dirt where he got his car control and put it into a cup car and got it rolling. Okay. If Kyle Larson's not on track, I say it's Kyle Bush. Right? Because I mean honestly I don't think know who Kyle Larson Kevin Harvick's up there too, but I would I just think there's too much to say that you can take one little variable on one different type of track, say, oh, he's better at this whole thing now because of that, you know. I'm not saying he's bad. I think he's a great driver. I think driver. you don't just, understand what dirt racing is all about because I, yes, I understand. Like I have a ton of respect for the dirt racing guys, but you don't see the dirt racing guys come over here and just say, "Hey, this guy sucks because he doesn't drive on dirt." Like the reason I the don't dirt say the people suck because they've never driven dirt either. So because all like the people that that clown on you know everything that isn't dirt racing probably only watch oval racing, like. There are people out there that watch all types of racing, including dirt racing. And even they're enough to admit that everything's different. Like just because it's a different type of talent doesn't mean it's something that no one can do. I'm not disagreeing with that statement. I'm just saying that dirt racing proves that you have better car control if you're better at it. Right, but you, you can't just say I'm that not dis- better I'm car not control means he's better at everything. Like that's no, what you're I'm trying to say. You're making better- a blanket statement. I'm not making a blanket statement. I'm saying that his car control is better. Therefore, my opinion is that he's a better race car driver. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that's would all like, okay. that would be that's like, okay. That would be like, basically what you're doing is saying Fernando Alonso versus, versus Kyle Larson. Who's the better race car driver? Well, that's a tough one. You got to say, um, 
Kyle Larson has better car control. He can win anything that he can get in, right? Now no. you go look at you look, at you look at Alonso and you say, well, actually, Alonso can throw the car sideways and save it in ridiculous saves as well. So I don't know. He's also racing Lamont and all this other stuff. So maybe, maybe not. And it just it, I'm not saying. I mean, I would just Alonso, say that, I would say saying. this: like Larson is an insane natural talent. Like his car controls through the roof. However, I don't think that means that a pavement guy like Alonzo doesn't have car control. Like he clearly has it. He just doesn't have to use oh, it. Oh no, that's what I'm saying. I'm and that's what I'm thinking. That if I'm using my metric, it's just my metric is if you're good at everything. Like obviously, say your metrics car control minus completeness. I feel like I would rate Alonzo ahead because he's complete. Like he's shown he's everything that is asked of him in his role. He has shown he can do. Like right. every single. And thing. I would agree with you. That's my metric for someone who is elite someone who is a champion right so you're but, saying kyle larson is an elite in other words or ty dillon is an elite because you're I'm not not i'm definitely saying ty dillon is not elite i'm just saying he's better than his brother who is definitely not elite either neither All one right, of those I'll, guys I'll just come back drivers. to me come back to me when ty dillon wins more cup races than his brother okay let him go okay. full time and we'll we'll wait i'm gonna bookmark this all right okay. if ty dillon wins more cup races than austin dillon I will, admit, I will admit a defeat, like whenever this happens, whether it's five years from now, ten years from now, whatever. I will okay. admit defeat, but until we'll then, that. Colton says he's got stats, so let's let's let Colton. All right, let's see what they are. They have the exact same. I'm I'm using truck series because they drove the same equipment in the truck series. Okay. Mm -hmm. They have the same exact average finish, nine point seven. Okay. Uh, Ty has fifty-seven races. Austin has 71. Um, Austin does have a higher win percentage at 9%. That's even harder to do with more starts. I has 6%. Mm -hmm. um, they have, I mean, fucking identical top 10 percentages. We're, we're talking like two thousandths of a percent that they're off by. Mm -hmm. Wow. Ty has a significantly higher top five percentage, like mm -hmm. significantly higher. And what years he raced in the trucks? What, 2013, 14, around there? I think 2013 was it, right? Ty raced. 2012, like 2012, 2013. 12 and 13 were his full time years. And he's Because I know he almost won the title in 2012 until Kyle Larson wrecked him at Homestead. I know that happened. 20, 2013, he got second. 2012, he got fourth. Yeah, because I know 2012, he was up there late. I, don't, I always thought he was. Compete for a title for whatever reason we got right there, but I just I remember the, the Without, thing. I still agree that Ty's a better driver. Right. It's just not it's not working out for him in NASCAR so far. I'm saying their stats are a lot closer than I thought. Oh yeah, for sure. Like Ty's a good truck series driver. Like you could driver. argue that Richard wasn't dumping as much money in the truck series when Ty was racing. Because by that point Austin had moved to Xfinity. That's a that's a fair argument to make. That is a that fair, is a argument. fair argument to make. Um, Austin is obviously the favorite grandchild. Um, there's some off track things that has led to that. That's why he's not really in the RCR fold anymore, and I think that's to a detriment to his career and not really fair to him because, like I said, he's a better talent than his brother. Um, let's go I ahead and move on. The nationwide. Go, thing. go ahead. Was, that's the only thing that makes me prevent myself from saying that is the nationwide comparison, like. Obviously, Austin Dillon did not win a lot in his Xfinity title, but he did manage to outpoint his way to a title. Like, 
you know, he didn't win at all that series. That right, he did not win. But granted, he still managed to win a title, and that was against like the peak of Cup regulars. So, you know, if there was every year you're going to go winless, it's a year with Cup regulars. Yeah. All right. Well, we said his name earlier, so let's go ahead and swing into this. Um, so with uh, this guy um, today, Daniel Suarez. Uh, announcing that it is the start of Hispanic Heritage Month uh, this month. Uh, he'll be running a special scheme at the Bristol Night Race this weekend uh, for Coca-Cola in the track house number 99. Um, I wanted to go ahead and kind of get into a little bit of, I guess, Hispanic race car drivers because we don't really, uh, I guess, appreciate people that aren't American race car drivers um, in NASCAR. Uh, obviously, uh, us being a more international um, focus because we're watching uh, IndyCar and F1 as well. We 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 see people from Europe and 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 even um, Asia. You know, we talked about Japanese drivers before, but uh, when it comes to Hispanic drivers, um, I'll go ahead and say probably a lot of you guys don't know. Uh, when I say Hispanic, you probably think Mexican, like Daniel Suarez, because that's really the only representation right now. If you if you've not been uh, a fan for a while uh, in NASCAR. Um, but Hispanic actually is basically wherever Spain conquered is Hispanic. So if you're if you're Spanish or you're Latin American, Spanish speaking nation, um, and I think maybe even the Philippines is considered Hispanic. Um, that that's that's what we're looking at. Um, so when we look at guys like um, uh, Tony Canon and Elio Castroneves, being that those are Portuguese speaking countries, they're Latin American but not Hispanic. So, that's what this month is all about, is for Hispanic Heritage Month. Um, so I just wanted to clear that up. Um, and we're going to talk about probably the best person in racing from this category, at least in my opinion. Um, probably Nathan's going to say no because Alonso also falls in this category. I and mean, he's holding the Spanish flag, man. Look at Come yeah. on. <laughs> so we're going to talk about the Colombian driver, Juan Pablo Montoya. And before I start listing off stuff, um, Colton, you wanted to say something about what everyone in NASCAR knows him about. So, from so, so we've all heard the joke: how many NASCAR di- drivers does it take to wreck a jet dryer? Just one, right? Uh, 2012 Daytona 500, something breaks on the car, not even his fault. Um, I think it was a track bar mount or the, the incomplete rear end housing, something along those lines. Car snapped around, hit the jet dryer, exploded, caused. A huge red flag, um, the tweet heard around the world from Brad Keselowski, um, all those things. I mean, can can we put this to rest? Like, it's getting old. Yeah. As someone who used to yeah. love jokes when it happened, like, for Christ's sake, come on, give the dude a break. He's the most, well, one of, if not the most, all-around gifted race car drivers to ever live. Um, yeah, for sure. Like, I think. Yeah, I so, go ahead, Nate. <laughs> I think something that speaks to him is his like he, it's not just the fact that he succeeded in every series; it's how quickly he did it. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. You want to, and uh, I I want to go across some of the stats. So yeah, like, you're gonna get I, into I can, some of that. Uh, you just why don't you list the stats first, and I can tell you like okay. how quickly he won all of those things. Right. So so I'll list the stats, and then Nathan will will kind of sh- just tell you how fucking crazy they are. So yeah. let's start. Let's start. And Juan Pablo Montoya, he won the Formula 3000 championship in 1998. And he went on to cart and he was the rookie of the year and champion in 1999. Uh, in 2000, 
he went to the Indianapolis 500 uh, for the first time, and he was working of the year there, but also he won that race as well. He then, as being a test driver for Formula One during this time, went over to Formula One to drive for Williams from 2001 to 2004. He then went to McLaren for the 05 and 06 season where he won seven Grand Prix in in, in those uh, seven seasons. And he's got 15 wins, five in IndyCar and 10 in CART um, in that series. Um, NASCAR Rookie of the Year 2007. He had two wins in, obviously, the Cup Series. Could have had three. We'll talk about that later. One in Xfinity 2014 to 2017. He returns to IndyCar, wins the 2015 Indy 500. And he also did some IMSA racing from 2017 to 2020 full-time. But before that, he won the first two starts in the Rolex 24 that he did in, I want to say it was um, the early 2000s. Yeah. Almost won three in a row because he had um, he had a race uh, there with Chip Ganassi Racing, uh, and he lost by point zero. One six seven seconds in a twenty four hour event. So that speaks numbers to just how crazy um, that team was in that era of the Rolex. Um, and then in twenty thirteen, he returned and had another Rolex twenty four win. So that are that those are I should say the accolades to Juan Pablo Montoya, not yeah. just hitting the jet dryer. Story. Yeah, and I would I'll add on to those things. Which the first title you mentioned F three thousand that's the equivalent of Formula Two now. So. He won that in his first ever try, so that's a, the equivalent of a rookie F2 champion. Kart was like that's that was like the most competitive open wheel series in America at the time. Tons of big name drivers. He comes there, he wins in his first ever year. He wins seven races and he ties for the title. He wins that on a tiebreaker. That's that's already like unheard of. Then you're going to go on to 2000. He led 160 laps in its first Indy 500 and he just dominated the race. Won that. Then he goes to F1 in 2001. He almost won his third ever race until he got taken out by a lap car. He went on to win in his seventh F1 race. And then you go on to NASCAR. He wins in his first ever season on a road course. I think he was top five at Atlanta or ran top five in one of his first ever oval races. Right. And then an IndyCar, he returns there after like 14 years off. He wins in his first season back. So that was already a 15-year hiatus. The next year after that, he wins the Indy 500, 15 years after the first. Um, and then he ties for the championship. He loses on a tiebreaker. But he almost won a second title 16 years after the first. And then he, above all else, he does Indy as a part-timer in 2017. He finished in the top five. Indy is a part-timer this year. He finished in the top ten. And then... You look at the Indy 500 statistics, he's literally only finished outside the top 10 one time. And, it's like, and he's got two wins out of like seven starts. So he literally has no time. He just instantly wins. Yeah. So I want to say, Colton, I mean, you said it, one of the most uh, greatest driver talents of all time. Um, I put him up there with the Jim Clark's, Mario Andretti's, uh, nowadays Kyle Larson's. Um, basically put me in something I'll plug I'll play and I'll win um that that's that's Juan Pablo Montoya in a nutshell um however 
with with that being said, you know, we, we know he's a great driver, but he's had some pitfalls specifically when he came to stock car racing. Uh, you mentioned one of the races. I mentioned one of the other races. So let's talk about the two oval races that he would have won. Um, and one of those Atlanta it. races was Kurt Busch was running. Um, he was running him down. He was in second place, and he was running Kurt Busch down when we had that least race restart, and he got robbed there. Um, and then yeah. I don't remember if it was the 2008 or 2009 Brickyard. Yeah, it was on He would have won that race nice. without a speed penalty. That was terrible. The road. That was so so um, that, uh there was a Dover race that he almost won too. 2013, yes. 2013, yeah. He was super dominant that day. He was running the top three all day. And I don't remember what, why he didn't win it because he was, I mean, he was hauling ass that race. I think it was like just late cautions. Like yeah, some sort of bad luck. Yeah, I don't remember. I want to say, what. I'll say 09 Indy was the most painful for me because he almost, he's competed in Indy in four different series, I think. If you think, I don't know if IMSA raced there back then, but I think they did. He was in one of those. He's competed there in F1. He's competed there in IndyCar. He's competed there in NASCAR. And he should have had a win in at least two of those if it wasn't for that. And I, I don't know. He dominated that race. That would He would have been the first guy to win in stock cars and open wheel cars at the same racetrack, which would have been amazing. So I don't know. And he almost won the Daytona 500, too, in 2011. Like he was in the mix on the final lap, but got separated. Yeah, all around the, I mean, like I said, world class talent. One of those guys that if you want uh, a win, he's gonna go. He's go gonna go out and get it. Um, for me, like I said, I don't know if it was a 2008 or 2009 um, race at Indianapolis, but he was running the Chip Ganassi target um, energizer scheme. The you know the throwback to the Indy car that's red and it's got the uh, lightning bolts on it mm-hmm. uh, for energizer batteries and. I mean, he's out there dominating, and he yeah. got a speeding penalty. And since that day, I have had my tinfoil hat on that Juan Pablo Montoya was not speeding on pit road. So what do you guys think about that? Oh, this is a fun one. I honestly I, – I, I do think he was like 0.2 miles an hour over whatever it was. But at the same time, it, it, like I, I'm still mad at that race. Like that race never fails to bother me. You know, knowing how vocal he is and the whole DBC speeding penalties joke about guys that say something get speeding penalties next week. I mean, it's a valid theory. I'm not going to say I go with it, but it's pretty valid. I mean, I could see it. I've never really thought about it like that, but I mean, it's it's definitely possible. Yeah. Um, we've all heard the jokes about it. I even made one this last week, like Kyle Busch got a speeding penalty at Richmond um, because of his comments last week in Darlington. They didn't find him for saying the cuss words on TV. So they gave him a speeding penalty at Richmond to make sure that he doesn't win this one. Um, you know, I mean, that's – I think that's a, a pretty fair argument to have. It seems fair to me. I mean, it's tough. I mean, it's it's hard to, to say that right when I don't have proof, but it's a very good coincidence, and it always seems to work that way. Yeah, I will say um, my favorite Montoya moment when I gained a lot of respect for him because I didn't know much about him until he came to NASCAR um, was that Watkins Glen race where he dove way down to the inside and Harvick chopped him and wrecked him both. Um, yeah. And then he went and towed it. Like he went after Harvick. Harvick comes over oh, yeah. and talk to him. Um, Juan shoves him and then goes right back in his face. We always see the clip of like Harvick grabbing his helmet, but yeah. no one else shows the rest of that where Juan Montoya was just digging into Harvick. I mean, that was awesome. My dad was yeah, a Harvick. And I- 
That was hilarious because Harvick was mad at Juan and Truex actually wrecked Juan and sent Juan right. into Harvick. And it's like Juan, he doesn't care. Like he people, he does not care who you're fighting. And there was another one with Tony Stewart at Homestead that one year. Mm-hmm. They were, I don't know what they were fighting over. They were just beating and banging on the backstretch. And Tony gets tired of it. He's like, all right, I'm going to try and spin Juan. He spins Juan. And then a few laps later, you see Tony Stewart get absolutely jumped. Like yeah. did not put up with anything. Like I've never seen a driver that's new to NASCAR just come out with Tony Stewart and just push him back. Yeah, and that's surprising because you think of Smoke and he's just, just this big dude that you just don't want to mess with. So I mean, is Juan. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, and then it's okay, like guy. if you don't know Juan, you're like, this is just one of those international drivers and he's just yeah. he's just here and he's gonna be snooty and all this other stuff, but he's just a oh no, he's a guy that you just don't want to mess with. And even now that yeah. he's older, he's just he's just yeah, a guy that right. I wouldn't mess with at all. No, like look at what he did in F one. It was his third ever F one race. He shoved Schumacher off the track for the lead, and it's like Nobody does that. Like, nobody does that. And then you look at Imola, there was a year, a couple of years later, Schumacher shoved him off the track, and they were next to one another in the press conference. And Schumacher sees the replay. He's like, oh, well, I, I must not have seen him. And Juan goes straight to the microphone and says, that's a complete lie. You're either blind or stupid to not see me there. And then Schumacher is silent for the rest of the conference. Yep. Like, he just doesn't care. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think probably my favorite Juan Pablo moment. Um, I don't know. It's got to be. It's got to be the second Indy Five Hundred. Yes. This man just shows up and mic drops. I mean, he hasn't been here for sixteen years, and he holds the record from the for the longest wins in between the two. Um, kind of like the Terry Labonte Championships, where he has fifteen years between the two. I mean, this dude has not been in there for 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 years and he just shows up goes out there wins like the i just came from the back too like he had damage from a lap one crash and he drove all the way back to the front and he denied will power uh another 500 so i mean there's another part he actually passed somebody on the grass i don't know if i have the clip still but in turn one he went by scott dixon with his wheels on the inside grass like nobody does that yeah the hold my beer. Nobody does that. Survives in an Indy car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a guy that was a worker for Ganassi that like attended Montoya's rookie testing at Indy, and his first couple laps were just flat out. Like he didn't lift, and the the guys that are on the team are like just completely mesmerized. They're like, this guy has no fear. Like he drives him like it's a toy car. Like he drives as if he cannot get hurt. Like I've never seen a guy that can just throw a car around and make it. Do what it wants, like that. I don't know. Yeah, because he's he got good everything. car control. I mean, yeah, for sure. But I don't believe that there's so much to him. Like you look at his indie. You look at the Detroit pole. Like he was driving the wheels off the car. I mean, he was. He actually ripped an advertising banner off the wall without hitting the wall. He was that close. Damn. And like, I mean, the guy just drives on the limit, like better than almost anybody. I don't know. Like, I think he could have been the greatest IndyCar driver ever had he stayed in IndyCar. And had he stayed in F1, I think he could have won a title there too. So I don't know. Like, I truly believe that he would have been a five-time Indy 500 winner if he didn't have that gap. So with all those accolades, I mean, he, he, didn't, he didn't ever have true success, kind of like what you're saying. 
So I did want to ask you guys, if you could choose a JPM, which one would it be? Would it be a dominant NASCAR JPM, a dominant Formula One at, uh, JPM, or a dominant IndyCar JPM? This was one of the questions that I did want to is a really tough one. I, I know what I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with dominant IndyCar JPM because I feel like it's kind of a, a good mix between the two. You have a lot of circuits and ovals. Um, I feel like the stock car JPM, people would be saying, well, um, you know, it's NASCAR and kind of looking at it like they did in 2007 with anyone can do this, right? Um, and same with Formula One. I feel like those drivers get discredited a lot for their talent just because everyone says, oh, it's all equipment, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that's kind of the best mix of the both. Yeah, I think I'll say that Andy Carr is the best place for him. I think F1 was too polished. You know, he was a brash driver. He almost reminds he's like an open wheel Tony Stewart. Like if Tony Stewart was a primary open wheel guy, that's I mean, he's a Tony Stewart. Right. And I believe that the thing with F1 that really hurt him is that it was so fine-tuned that yeah. toward the end of his life in F1 with McLaren, Reichen had started to, to beat the brakes off him for quite a while. Maybe I shouldn't say that because he still won races, but you know, like you have to be super in shape. You have to be super like dedicated to one particular thing. And I, I don't believe that that ever suited Juan. I think Juan was more of a jack of all trades type guy. So I think IndyCar would have been the, the best place for him because he could show every type of ability he had. And I think that he would have definitely won five Indy 500s without a doubt. Like five Indy 500s. I mean, look at the percentage. He's won what two out of seven, finished top 10 in all but one. I mean, the guy, like, he is. I don't think he gets enough credit for his Indy 500 record, probably because he didn't race a lot. But in what limited seat time he's had, like, he's dominated that race. Yeah, I, I don't know. I have to agree. I think IndyCar one would be best one. Um, and I say that because there is a little bit more of a equi- equipment disparity in F1. Um, he didn't really fit in to the crowd at F1, in my opinion, um, although he was obviously a phenomenal talent. I think in F1 he would have, I guess, diminished his talent. Maybe he would have done more races like the 24-hour Le Mans rather than the one or two starts that he had. Um and and he he winds up with a career of like twenty GP wins, which is phenomenal for F one. If you look yeah. at the, if you if you if you look at it in a, in a total retrospect of the series, but he wouldn't have made a, as much of an impact um, yeah. there as he would have. And the same thing with NASCAR. I think obviously uh, if he'd have spent more time, he would have won plenty of oval races, and he would have been a guy uh, probably around the Carl Edwards mark. Maybe the maybe maybe better than that. Maybe like a a 30 to 40 wins. I think 40 wins is a huge number. Like I think he would, because you got to think of it. If he went in 2001 to NASCAR rather, rather than going to formula one, I think he would have pulled off at least 40 wins. And I think that's, that's that's a good thing. Yeah, that's fair. And I would say the same thing with the F1 is that, like you said, that there were already kind of established guys in F1. Like when he went there, Schumacher. Um, And then obviously once Juan started to, to move on to McLaren, Alonzo was the guy. Raikkonen was one of them. Um, Hamilton came along the year after he left. I don't I don't know if that would have been the right place for him because I don't think it was his style of driving. Like I think his style of driving would have suited the IndyCar better. 
Yeah, I no, no, I totally agree, and I think IndyCar could have used them better. Um, because one thing that they did lack, um, kind of in that era, was, um, I guess, someone to I guess ex- not really star power because they had the star power, but someone to go out there and and strive. Because yeah, Scott Dixon's there, but him being so non, I guess, flamboyant with his personality. He 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 was not he was not sure about I, I don't know. He went out there and won and he and for me being an IndyCar fan, I, I never really saw him as some guy that was really in the press as much. You know, you know, some right. guys like, like, just, like well Will Power and Dario Franchitti, I, I, I saw them more as personalities, but then right. he he would have dominated with the personality, unlike Scott Dixon. Yeah, and I don't think that's a slight on Scott Dixon. Like, I think that Dixon is – I think that he would have put up the best fight against Montoya out of all those guys. Absolutely. It's just – it's a different type of guy. You know, you have one guy that's really flashy. He is – Juan Montoya was the show, like, in every series he went to. Didn't really matter what it was. He was going to entertain you. Whereas Scott Dixon, the only thing he's really there to do is win. Like, he doesn't seek to entertain. He just does what he has to do, and that's it. You never hear from him again. He just goes home. I don't know, Alex, to your point, I'm with your dad in the comments. I don't know, 18 to 25 wins maybe if he's six in NASCAR. Um, that's that's good, though. Like, that's a big that's, I mean, that's still really good. Um, like, I don't know. That's like Dale Jr. Almost, I mean, Jr.'s got 26. That's, that's exactly what I said. I'd give more Dale Jr. numbers. Um, Man, I mean, we'll, so awesome. we'll never know, right? I mean, we can only speculate on what we've seen. Um, but, yeah, I mean. I like it, though. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I just as young as he was in two thousand one, had he started around that same time, I feel like he would have been able to put more numbers up than that. Because I think seeing his talent across sports car racing, open wheel in in Formula One and 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 IndyCar and NASCAR, what he did, I feel like if he would have honed his skills in NASCAR, he could have been one of those Hall of Famers that maybe not won a championship, but definitely got two to three wins a season. And yeah, you got to right. think if he retired when he retired in in uh, 2020. Wow, that's, that's um, cool. you know, from from full time racing, which is what he did because he ran full time in 2020 with the Acura program at Penske. If he had raced 20 seasons from 2001 to 2020, I mean that's 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 easy 40 wins for me. I mean that's he's going to dominate road courses you, and he's going to get plenty of opals. Do you think he's a championship driver in NASCAR if he stays there? No. 2009, he was supposed to be a title driver. As he, I mean, yeah, I mean, he got eighth in 2009. That's his third. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, but for me, it's hard to say that he would have been championship driver because we saw guys like Tony Stewart, Carl Edwards, of course, Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon at the same time, Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch. Those guys would most likely have still gotten there, and we don't see. Maybe we don't see Jamie McMurray. Maybe he still goes the Chip Ganassi route. He, we don't see Jamie McMurray. We don't see uh, like guys like Casey Mears and stuff because Juan is there the whole time. And I think I think that's why I would give him forty wins over a, a even stellar career like you guys have said. Yeah, that's Dale right. Junior. And one thing I will say is that the David Strimmings, the Reed Sorensons, um, you wouldn't have had that. Yeah, well, Chip Ganassi would would be years where they just yeah right yeah they just kind of filled whoever yeah. they could find in the seat. And one thing I will say, though, is that I, I do think that I, I, I enjoy the fact that he did what he did because there are so many guys that have won a lot of things in one type of racing, and he's the, the one guy that's more old school. 
Like he's almost straight out of the 1970s with how many different cars he's won in. And I really respect that. I think I would honestly, if I'm, if I'm a driver, I'd rather have what he has rather than having, you know, 50 wins in one series. Yeah. Like he's truly one of a kind and it might never be seen again. Yeah. So before we, we move on to the point that you just started there, Nathan, my dad says, who are you taking wins away from in those years? Well, simply put, all of the guys that I listed would not have been as dominant if they had to deal with one Pablo Montoya. If there was um, one driver you had to pick, who yeah, has which one are you going to bully? Twins. I know who I'm going to say. Uh-oh. Go ahead, because I don't. I don't have. Yeah, I want to see Colton Tate. Just a little bit less wins from those drivers. Tony Stewart has less wins. I mean, they're the same background, so I can agree with that. I think I'm Tony Stewart. Say... Tony Stewart's the main guy that has less wins. Um, you look at that that period, and him and Gordon were really the two dominant road course drivers. Um, I think it's definitely between those two, but I think Juan Montoya would have ruffled more feathers. Um, I don't think Stewart gets near as many as he did. I would say um, Ryan Newman or Kurt Busch, like they were really mid to late 2000s guys. And I think that if Montoya had came in 2001, he probably would have started to get contending for wins around 2003, 2004, if you give him a couple of years. So I would say that if he hits his stride at that particular time, then Newman and Kurt Busch's peaks kind of get affected. Okay. Yeah, I can, I can agree with that. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit interesting to play these what if games. Um, but yeah, I, I, there's, there's plenty of guys that I think you would have taken away wins from. You wouldn't have got one off wins from, from some of these guys at, at Sonoma or Watkins Glen, like a Clint Boyers or the Martin Truex juniors. Um, uh, even as far as up, up to this, this year with, with, with these past couple of years with Kyle Larson and, and stuff like that. I just, I think that he takes away wins from guys who have the big bank right now, you know, of wins, you know, maybe, maybe a Denny Hamlin doesn't have, um, you know, 40 something wins. Maybe he's only got 32. Maybe Kyle Busch only has 42 instead of 56, you know, that kind of, that kind of, that kind of terms. Uh, You insert some sort of talent like this, you, you take away wins from big talent. Like, I'm sorry. That's where I'm at. Right. Um, And, and to Nathan's point, this is a guy that we're probably not going to see. This is, a true journeyman driver. This is a guy we're not going to see again. I don't think ever. Yeah. Who 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 can you even think of that goes into other motorsports and has success like this? That's that like that's like JPM. I'm I will say that there's only two drivers in motorsports right now that even want to race another series, let alone win in them. One of them is Kyle Larson, and the other one is Fernando Alonso. Are the only two that actually try, they actually attempt other series. Like how many F1 drivers do the Dakar rally for fun? Like there's only one of those. And how many NASCAR drivers race every single dirt race under the sun? They ran the Rolex 24 one year, maybe in a couple of years, they'll run the Indy 500. It's like, there's only one. So they're, they're just, you're not going to get like, those guys don't come around often. I don't think you could have said it better. Those are the two drivers that I was thinking in the back of my mind. Other than Scott McLaughlin, he went from supercars to IndyCar. That was a radical transition. And maybe one day he'll start winning an IndyCar. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I mean, even I look at like Romain Grosjean. um, I don't ever see him moving to stock cars, but if he did, I don't think he'd do absolutely terrible so long as he's not in a Rick Ware car. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good point, Coach. So his gateway performance actually surprised me. 
Right. So we look at Scott McLaughlin um, as one of these other guys um, that, that that came in, and then also guys like uh, Marcus Erickson. Um, that was a Formula One driver. Uh, a lot of those Formula One drivers don't really particularly compete well on ovals. Now, Marcus Erickson has obviously gotten better since he's been in IndyCar for a couple of years. But man, I, that makes me wonder, man. I just – I don't know. I wish we would have more crossover from series. I do so too. One, of, like, one of my gripes – yeah, one of my gripes this year um, with the schedule coming out that I've had for a while now is why don't we have off weekends um, for big races? Like why don't yeah, we have Lamar, an off weekend for Le Mans? Sebring, Rolex, all yeah, that kind of stuff. Those My two thought, races in particular yeah. would be phenomenal to see guys from other series um, get to compete with our guys. Yeah, but you got me thinking. Like, when you mentioned that Grosjean and Erickson are doing really good in IndyCar right now, that makes me want to see what like a really, really big name F1 driver could do, like Alonso or Hamilton or whatever. You know, like I want to see what those guys could do in an IndyCar. If guys that were – Alonso can't make the 500 – I mean, you, you saw Hold what he up. did. He, he led the Indy 500. What are you talking yeah, about? He almost won the race. I watched him have one of the most phenomenal races I've ever seen until that Honda Power. All right, Colton, you want to hear something about McLaren in 2019? I'll show you the catastrophe that that team went through. And you could tell me, I don't think any driver would have made it in that car. So when the backup car got rolled out, the team did not have a steering wheel ready. They lost 24 hours of track time because they couldn't decide what time to paint the car and what color to paint it in. They bought their sensors at Walmart. They measured the car in the wrong units. And then they actually geared the car to go three miles per hour slower as a miscalculation. So it's like all those little things. And it's like, at first I was pretty embarrassed, but you know, after I read all that, I'm like, this, this is like, look at Alonzo, man, he, he pretty much wreaked havoc on Indy in his first year. And look at Nigel Mansell. He yeah. won the cart title in his first year. And he almost won the Indy 500 when he went there in his first try. So it's like, yeah, I, I really want to see what like, no I'm, I'm jabbing at you because of your road comment in the private chat. <laughs> That's a joke. I said, just kidding. That's a joke. Mine's a joke. Gee, come on. No, it's not. Yeah. I do want to address that road comment there, Chad. Um, Ricky Rudd won a race for 17 consecutive years. I don't know what you mean a few with zero. He Almost two decades this dude won a race. So JPM is anything like Ricky Rudd. Fantastic NASCAR career. And he's going to have, right for it, at least 40 wins. Because if he wins two per year in 20 years, that's 40 wins. That, that pace is like in 20 years? There's only like four drivers that have ever had that pace. It's Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon. And no, then the only other guys that have had the longevity are Harvick and maybe Kurt Busch. I don't know. Well, Ricky Rudd holds the record. 17 consecutive seasons with a win. I, I, Kurt, Kyle Busch is tied now. And Kurt almost – Kurt would have broke it if it wasn't for the Phoenix Racing disaster in 2012. Right. So, like, those guys had the longevity, I think. But it's tough ask. Like, I think Montoya had the ability. I just don't know if I can commit saying it. Yeah. Well, I think our uh, loving for JPM is going to cut to the end now. Um, it's been a pretty good um, show tonight. I think I'm going to go ahead and call it quits. We didn't get J- uh, Jared on tonight. He had some last-minute changes. Um, I do want to get him on and talk about Richmond, but he's also going to Bristol this weekend. So oh, wow. uh, we'll talk to him about that um, maybe in a couple weeks. Uh, so before we sign off, uh, did – uh, any of you guys want to say something uh, about Richmond 
before we head out? Oh, yes, I do. I don't care what anybody says. I enjoyed the race. That's all I have to say. Quit. If y'all listen to DBC, quit being like Jason Schultz and saying we need more cautions to make that a good race. That was a great race. I love seeing the strategy play out. That is the NASCAR I grew up on. That is the NASCAR that made it the most popular sport in America for a while. Um, That was it right there. Bar none. You cannot argue that. You can go back and watch all the old races you want. That's what you're going to see. That was perfect. I love that race. There was no late caution, no phantom caution messing up the finish of it just so that you know the teenagers could gook and gaw and you know shit their pants at the finish ah calling it a bad race so uh, uh, colloquialism i have given myself in situations of hypocrisy and i'm not going to say it because it's not appropriate um so to those people Know that in my mind, I'm saying that. I'm not going to let you know what it is, but if you want to fight me on Twitter, I'll let you know. I mean, they're, they're 15. It's, it's past our bedtime. Stop anyways, being so a hypocrite. You know what? Don't go and praise right. the Southern 500 for being a fantastic race because it got tire wear and strategy and all this other stuff when it's got strung out fields and there's passing. And then say the exact opposite yes. thing the next week at Richmond. Yes. That's a win. Stop you. It was the same ah. exact formula that made it yeah. such a good race there was tire wear there was great strategy yeah. options and there was passing if you wanted it last week why the hell don't you want it this week thank you i'm gonna clip it over and you know what i'm gonna say i'll add on come watch us all next the- week we're talking to roger roger caruth he's gonna be racing in uh, arca on friday go check that out at 6 30 p.m eastern on fox sports one we'll all be watching we'll talk to him live at 7 p.m. next Thursday, um, we're going to change nice. it up because his schedule needs to be on Thursday. He's going to stay here for the whole hour and a half show. So please send us some questions to our Twitter, yeah. and we will get those on there. Yeah. Fan Fuel MSM um, yeah. on Twitter, capital F, capital F, capital MSM. Stop being a hypocrite. Watch the show next week with Raja, and that's it for me. So good night. Yeah, and I, one more thing I will say to all the twelve-year-olds on Twitter that are saying, "Like, oh my God, this race is bad. We need we need to be close racing. We need cautions." It's like, first of all, you shouldn't argue with us because number one, it's past your bedtime, and number two, you probably have a class for seventh grade starting tomorrow. So, like, do your homework, and that's it. Like, don't get first on Twitter. First of all, shut the fuck up. Second of all, yeah, yeah go on. Come on, like maybe ah, they got three school tomorrow. Who knows? I'm not a supporter of Richmond by any means. I do not like that track. That was a good race. Loved it. I was entertained through it all. And can we talk about Kurt Busch really quick? Holy crap. That would have been a fatal a hit years ago. Yeah, that was a hit. Yeah. Man, that's what I told uh, – Cheyenne was sitting there watching it. I was like, you don't realize how scary that's a that hit. is. Like, you, when that when Nadu hit like that, at the same track, it yeah. broke his feet and his head hit the wall. And he almost right. died. Like, holy crap. Yeah, that, so, I'd like to see the G-Force numbers on that thing. Ah, uh, yeah. Big, you know, yeah. That was scary. Thank you for the uh, the head restraint on the side. It's like that big padding. Yeah, that was that was scary. As yeah. soon as I saw that replay, I was like, oh, oh, oh. All right. Well, with that being said, we're going to go ahead and end it. I said what I had to say. I, my blood pressure's up. I need to go eat some um, dinner. You guys have a fantastic night. Like I said, come see us next week. If you got anything that you want to ask, Roger. Caruth, just let us know. We will ask it to him if we uh, have time. 
And uh, we're going to be focusing on him, not necessarily his racing. So be sure to uh, be sure to listen to that. It's going to be a different. Yeah, we want all of you here. Like, it's not going to be. It's not going to be. Hey, you got a seat at Alpha Prime. Um, so tell us about that. You know, we're gonna we're gonna gloss over some of his uh, racing stuff. We're gonna tell you about some of the stuff, and we're gonna get down deep inside the brain of Roger Cruz. He's really excited. I've been texting with him for a couple of weeks now. Thanks to my dad uh, for getting uh, Roger on board for that. Um, my dad's kind of our PR uh, PR guy with the drivers because he's got all these ins yep. in NASCAR. So um, he's been he's been talking to a lot of drivers. We've got a lot um, yet to come uh, that we want. We want to talk to you about. We're excited for, but we're not. Uh, said it already. Good night. Um, uh, my rant's over. Uh, good show tonight, guys. Listen to us next yeah. week. Oh man, Rajah Karuth next Thursday.